church and simply do not meaningfully pray, there's something wrong there. So let's turn it in your Bible now to John 18. We were in this earlier in the first hour, um, and we'll sort of take up where, where we were. Two fatal sins that hinder choice making. You're going to make a lot of choices uh, in the in the time to come. I can guarantee you that that we have lots and lots of choices to make, and uh, we want to consider this subject this morning: two fatal sins that hinder choice making. And the account we're going to look at is the account of Pilate judging Christ and Christ judging Pilate. Both things are here. It's a historical record that functions as a command for you to live by faith, not by sight. Choose Christ and keep choosing Him. This is something you must do. You must make spiritual choices. You must choose Him and you must keep on choosing Him. What we look at today, we'll look at two main things, two fatal sins that hinder choice making. He said in one place, if you don't take your cross daily, you can't be my disciple. And he said, he that saves his life will lose it. He who saves it for this life and mainly for this world, for this present evil age and what it offers you. He who saves his life for that will lose it. But he who loses it for my sake shall find it. So, does it seem risky to you to take your cross and say, you know, are you really serious? You actually believe that, that these people are going to resign their lives to the control of an invisible God? Yes, I do. Absolutely, I do. Bringing every thought, acknowledging Him in all your ways. And I think He will, God our Father, will patiently get you there. And um, two fatal sins that face us constantly. Well, I'll explain them more in detail at the end after we, as we read the narrative. So we want to consider Pilate's uh, trial of Christ and Christ's trial of Pilate in, in four phases. It's sort of like a drama unfolding before you. I assure you, God has put this here for you to understand what's before you, to think about what's before you, and to apply it to your life. We begin with Pilate encounters murderers with religious scruples. Scruples are religious religious objections concerning people's conscience. You know, for example, that Jews don't eat pork or we used to live on Arcanum, and, and there was a Jewish shop owner across the street. What was his name? Dennis? Mr. Dennison. He had a shop up there, and he invited me to this club he was a part of. 
and they were serving pork, and uh, he didn't eat pork. We, he, it, it was, it, well, he was not offended really, but you don't, you don't serve pork to a Jew. Jews don't eat pork. Most Jews don't eat pork. That they, they have scruples about that. And people have, and, and some of the, possibly you remember, uh, Barack Obama was, I think he was in India doing some sort of diplomacy, and a fly was on his hand or his shoulder, and he swatted the fly, and he killed the fly, and uh, you're not supposed to kill things in Hindu cultures. And he was reprimanded for killing a fly. Possibly you remember that. But they have scruples about this, you see. Well, look in your Bible at John 18, 28. And Pilate, a Roman judge, is not really a very religious man, certainly not a, a religious man of our book or the Jewish book. But he's going to meet these murderers. But they got religious scruples. Now, this should ring home to you if you're paying any attention to the news, and especially in the Middle East, there's a lot of murderers today who've got religious scruples. Look at John chapter 18, verse 28. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium. A praetorium is like a, a barracks and a edifice of buildings where high-ranking uh, military people are, special military people, the praetorium. And it was early morning, probably about six in the morning or, or earlier. But they themselves, those who led Jesus to the, to the Roman military grounds, but they themselves did not go into the praetorium lest they should be defiled. You know, their scruples. We can't go into a Gentile building this close to Passover. Oh, no, not that. They have scruples, you see. We can't go in that building, a Gentile building, lest we should be defiled. Okay, because we want to eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him and said, if he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said, you take him. Judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said unto him, it is not lawful for us to put, put anyone to death. That the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he would die. We'll stop there. Here we meet Pilate, the Roman judge, a famous judge, because he presided over this trial, and he meets these religious murderers, they have religious scruples, they said. <laughs> They're really pre bringing to pass premeditated murder, and they said, well, but we mustn't be ceremonially defiled by going in your building. Interesting. Well, verse 29, um, it's... it's um, Verse 28 says, then, is translated therefore in other versions. Um, therefore, Pilate must go out to them, lest their consciences be injured. Pilate then 
went out to meet them, or Pilate, therefore, because of their religious scruples, said, all right, I'll go out and meet you since you can't come in to me. And Pilate wants to know, he's probably been informed earlier the night before that we have an important prisoner that you need to have a trial for early in the morning. And so, um, notice please Pilate says to them, what accusation do you have against this man? And uh, they want Pilate, they want to employ Pilate simply as an executioner without an examination. They said, we want to put to death now. He says, he balks at this. Wait a minute. Before we put someone to death, what's he, what's he done? What charges you have? And look at verse 30. Charges? Uh, especially for those of you here in the former hour, you recognize that this has been a crisis all, all night, trying to find witnesses and charges. They start the trial without charges. They start the trial without witnesses. And they, so Pilate simply says, okay, where's the charges? They, they said, look, he's already guilty. Your business is simply to put him to death. If, he, if, we, if there weren't good charges, why would we be bringing him here? Notice that that's, that is the logic. They said, if he wasn't an evildoer, he wouldn't be here. In other words, you should just take our word for it that the guy deserves to die. Period. That is what you're reading. Pilate. Now, Pilate's an important person. God wants you to look at Pilate, and Pilate has something to say to you. Something lasting. Young and old, he has something to say to you. He, Pilate balks at this. Uh, he's, he doesn't want to be their toy. And um, this has been a problem all night, trying to find witnesses and appropriate charges to put Jesus to death. And they tell Pilate in verse 30, we don't want a trial from you. Never mind the charges, just put him to death. Look at verse 31. Pilate does not like them, and they don't like him. So there's not really that much that's changed about politics through the years. And he knows he doesn't like them, he doesn't respect them or trust them. He knows that for envy, Mark 15, 10, they have delivered him. They, they know, he knows that whole th- the thing's a sham from the start. As far as these people are concerned, they're simply um, envious about him and they want to get rid of him. And so Pilate says to them, settle it yourself. Pilate said to them, you take them. Judge them to your law. I'm not interested in this. You take them. Settle it yourself. And verse 31 and 32, they said, well, we can't do it ourselves. You have to do it. Now, there are so many of these complainers of, with the Jews, and they are so loud that he must at least now hear the case. So the Jews defeat Pilate's attempt to remove himself from the case, which he wanted to do from the beginning. He had no desire to have this case before him. If he he did, you'll see he'll do everything possible to get out of this. There are many things coming now that 
with, with this coronavirus and other crises that will come with it, the financial crisis, that are going to force people to have to make choices that they don't want to make, and I don't fault them. I would, I would throw my hat in the ring with them. I'd say, I'd, I don't mind managing my own life, but it's, it's, uh, it's increasingly difficult when I have to make decisions that offend a lot of people, and um, you're going to have to make some soon. And so Pilate cannot get out of it, and he is forced to hear the case. Now we're seeing this more and more in the cities around our country as people who do not want to intervene in political ideas and do not want to try and separate ideologues and settle these squabbles, but they <coughs> have to. They are here in numbers and they are raising their voices and they're going to be heard. And notice that Pilate definitely wants, he's, he can't make it clear, you settle it yourself, I don't want this. They said, oh no, not so fast. We're going to make so much noise, you're going to have to choose. You're going to have to involve yourself. Okay. All right. We'll do it. So they come with now the charges. Then Pilate, verse 33, entered the praetorium again, called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? So he now has to he's now confronts Christ for the first time. Or who are you? And between verses eighteen, uh, verses uh, thirty-two and thirty-three of, of chapter eighteen, three charges are leveled against Christ. They're not recorded here, and but we won't turn back through all the pages. But they attack, uh, just. Accused Christ of three crimes. Number one, tax evasion. They said he's, uh, he's not paying tax to Caesar. And that, of course, was a lie. Number two, of stirring up the people, of st stirring foment. Well, turn the other cheek, go the extra mile, that's not exactly stirring up foment. And that was a lie, too. And then the last one, number three, was he claims to be a king. Well, that one was going to come up in this discussion, and he's going to Pilate's going to ask him, "Okay, tell me about this kingdom business." So, phase one, Pilate encounters murderers with religious scruples. Now, uh, Pilate, at this point, again, uh, he, after verse thirty-three, he—it's not recorded in John, but he sends him to Herod. He finds out. <clears throat> Oh, you're from Galilee. Well, that's Herod's territory, and Herod happens to be in town for Passover, and I'm sending you to him. Let him settle it. Well, they do send him to Herod, and he won't talk to Herod. And um, back they come from Herod with the, their prisoner, and Peter, or excuse me, Stephen calls this in Acts 7.52, he calls this sequence of events premeditated murder, calling Jesus this, the quote, the just one whom you have now become the betrayers and murderers. So what you're really reading about here is the murder. They are going to murder 
the Son of God. Well, um, keep in mind, your Pilate is he has two fatal sins. And I want to absolutely guarantee you, I will be faced with them this week, so will you. And the rest of your life, they're going to... So, so follow this. We come to phase two now. He, um, he's not here now. Pilate is going to interrogate Jesus personally. Not that he really wants to, but he's stuck with it. Just like many, many politicians are today. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do about that? This is really, this is not an issue I even want to weigh in on. Well, they're going to say, well, you have to now. We're at a stage now. There's, you're going to have to come out one way or other. And how, how are you going to choose? So we're, we're at these times. Okay, so look, let's look at this verse 33. Pilate entered and he talks to Jesus. He said, are you the king of the Jews? The first two are absurd. But the third one, okay, the king. Tell me about this. Are you the king of the Jews? Now here is a Notice Christ's response. Jesus answered him, Are you speaking for yourself on this, or did others tell you this about you? Uh, tell, tell you this about me, excuse me. He, he can't, this sounds evasive, but he's not being evasive at all. When Pilate, a Roman governor, asks a Jew, are you a king? He can't say yes without greatly misleading Pilate. And he can't say no without denying a fact. So notice how Christ answers him. And this matters to you. This is going to factor into... People are going to be drawing the lines at different places as... The government advances more and more rules, more and more initiatives to solve greater and greater crises, and they are coming. Greater crises are coming. So notice how Christ answers. He said, uh, are others speaking um, for you, uh, yourself? And he, what he means by this is, if you are asking as a private person, if you are asking your own initiative, yes, I have a mission and a kingdom. And it has no place, at least not for now, for physical combat and raising taxes and things like that to sustain. We are not a kingdom in in any sense, a, a rival to Rome. Um, he does say, uh, I I do have yes I I have a kingdom. I have a kingdom, but it is not a kingdom that is like Rome. If you are asking what others told you, which which others told you wrongly about me, the answer is no. I am no rival to Rome. They wanted to take him by force and make him king, so he drive out Rome. He said no. I refuse to be king over you, over people like you, the Jews. In their condition, he said no. (laughs) So the answer is, are you a king 
Yes, in one hand, I have a mission and a kingdom, and it's real. Um, he, for instance, um, look at verse 35. Pilate answered, am I a Jew? Do I care about this, this, hair, this religious hair splitting? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, like you Romans are. Uh, Pilate is a man of experienced combat. This guy has probably killed many people in his lifetime. He's rose up through the ranks, and he is a man of battle, fighting, crushing people, bloodshed. He's good at it. He knows how to how do you do these things. And um, he said, "My kingdom is not anything like that. And if it were, then my servants would fight. But now my kingdom is not from here." Pilate therefore said to him, "Are you a king then?" Jesus answered, "You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born." And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? In other words, he's probably saying here, I've always wondered what truth was, but it nowhere exists. That's probably not what he's saying. He's not a seeker after truth. What he's saying is, look, your abstract religious ideas about what is true and false to me has is just so much nonsense. It's not practical. But he looks at him and he realizes this person is no threat to Rome. And he says, look at end of so child he's put he's forced to put Christ on trial, and his conclusion, look at verse thirty eight, I find no fault in him. At all. When Christ asked him, are, are you asking me, did somebody, are you asking for yourself or did somebody tell you about me? He's not evading. He's just cannot, if he tells a Roman, a Roman politician, a Roman commander, yes, I am a king, in, in Rome's understanding, that says, well, then you have to go. Because we're going to crush you. We don't tolerate rivals he says so he has to qualify it or else he's he's really misleading Pilate and um, and then he tells him the truth he says I'm here to bear witness of the truth Pilate says truth what is that uh, and it's always so much impractical nonsense to him so that ends phase two and charge no charges made from Pilate he correctly pronounces his verdict not guilty. Now we come closer, we come to phase three. Look at verse 39. Unrighteous compromise emboldens the wicked. So I wonder what you think about what's taking place in Portland and Seattle and Wisconsin and downtown Chicago where they are emboldening criminals so the, here's the, the looting's going on in. And, and Detroit. Detroit has said, you know, um, no more batons for the police. 
no more tear gas, can't do that, we might, you know, the looters, I mean, you might get, get some tear gas in their eyes, I mean, Look, you're seeing that. You're seeing appeasing wicked people. You're watching it every day in your country. And the judges are emboldening them. They are, every time you make a concession to such people, you make them stronger in their wickedness. Now, look at, now you're going to be tempted. Preachers are tempted to do this. So follow along. Look at, we come, we're now in phase three. Unrighteous compromise emboldens the wicked. Here is the deep perverseness of human nature. So look at verse 39. Pilate realizes they do not like his verdict. They have already decided he needs to be slaughtered. Again, those of you in the first hour, they already, this trial, the whole thing is a farce. They couldn't find witnesses. They didn't need any witnesses or want it. They just said, we want to slaughter them. Well, Pilate knows uh, they are not leaving. <laughs> They're not quieting down. They're getting louder, and there's more of them. Now what do I do? Well, it depends what you want to accomplish. What you do at this point, I guess, would depend a lot about why you think you're here. How you got here. Where you think you're going. So notice that Pilate says, he has his own ideas. He says, well, oh, we got, let's, 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 uh, why, why don't we do a little compromise? So look at verse 39. But you have a custom. You Jews have a custom that I should release someone to you at Passover, you know, those, those your religious scruples and all that, would join in you at least this much. Uh, what, so let's release someone. Do you therefore want me to release to you the king of the Jews? So he hasn't done anything wrong. Let's, let's release him. They all, they cried again. And they crowd loudly. Not this man, but Barabbas. Now, Barabbas was a robber. So this compromise it, uh, did not help anything. On one hand, Pilate genuinely wishes to escape from the difficult position by releasing Jesus. On the other hand, he cannot resist avenging himself on the Jewish leaders who have placed him in this difficult position. And... Um, his, his way of petty vengeance is to taunt them with the claim of kingship made by Christ. He says, let's let, let's let, this, let's let your king go. It was um, really in verse 39, he's also flexing his, foolishly flexing his political muscles, taunting the Jews. And uh, it was probably right here that he got a note from his wife. Matthew 27, 19 says, while in the process of the trial, it says exactly this. 
when he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have nothing to do with that just man. For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. Have nothing to do with him. He's a just man. His, how striking for his wife to write him a note in the, and get it to him in the middle of the trial. Well, um, however, the priests revolt in verse 40 and they shout louder, Barabbas, a criminal who had committed murder in a revolt. So Pilate grants it. He lets Barabbas go. Now look at verse chapter 19. Still trying to release him. So Pilate, so then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. And the soldiers twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they put him, they put on him a purple robe. Robe is a a purple is a color of royalty especially with the Romans. And so it's a mockery. And they struck him with their hands. Hail, King of the Jews. And you can see that he is mocking the Jews. And mocking the Lord Jesus Christ. Pilate, as a, as a means to get himself out of this. He says, I hope I'll just put this man to shame humiliate him publicly, and we can all go home. So, uh, so we have one picture here. And maybe it was Pilate, there's the son of God, and he has probably a worse weapon than this shows, but Pilate says, behold the man. Look at him. Look at and he's hoping that this will pacify them. That they will say, okay, he's no threat now. We've publicly embarrassed him. Well, um, look at chapter 19 and verse 5. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said to them, Behold the man. He's now trying to get the Jews to go home. Look at him. Look what I've done to him. He's humiliated. His cause is finished. Behold the man. Well, um, they, he's hoping. Uh, there, there is, he's really scorning the Jews. Here's the man you made so much fuss over. Look at him. Trampled by Rome. So, so just go home, okay? That's really what he wants to happen. He's not guilty. He's no threat. Just go home. Now look at verse 6. Pilate really wants this to be over. Do you know there are people in Washington and all across our country now who really want these crises to be over? And they are in the middle of sharply divided people and are scratching their heads. How can we do this? How can we come to a resolution? Well, um, that, that applies to a good many things. 
But look now as we get closer and um, look at verse 6. Therefore, the chief priests and the officers saw him. They cried out saying, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, you take him and crucify him. For I find no fault in him. Again, he wants out. He really wants it to be over. And they really want Pilate to give the orders. But Pilate balks again. You kill him. I refuse to do it. They fear Christ will escape if it isn't done promptly. They smell victory and cry out more impassionedly. Crucify him because. Look at verse Because of what? Look at verse 7 of chapter 19. Here's a shocker. Because he made himself the son of God. How did that affect Pilate? Look at verse 8, the next verse. Therefore, when Pilate heard, which he had not heard this yet, he was, notice, Afraid, no, more afraid, which presupposes he was fearing already. He was afraid already, now he's more afraid. This is getting out of his control. And he's more afraid, and he's got a note from his wife, have nothing to do with this man. Now he hears he's the son of God. He's looked at this man. It's like no other man he's ever seen. And now, notice what happens. The tables turn, and now Christ becomes the judge and Pilate's on trial. So look, please, at verse 9. And they went out into the praetorium and said to Jesus, Where are you from? Now, he was not talking here about geographically where you're from. He already knew where he's from. He knew he's from Galilee, and he already sent him to Herod because he's from Galilee. So he's not talking about where were you born. He's saying, who are you? Did you see that in verse 9? Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. One person said, there can be neither assurance nor comfort for a person who willfully compromises the truth. So Pilate's got just a couple more chances. Look at verse 10. Pilate then said to him, Are you not speaking to me? Do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Don't you understand Roman supremacy? He, He says this twice. I have power. I have power to release. I have power to kill you. You know, when people use loud volume, that doesn't necessarily mean there's real confidence there. Sometimes people just up the volume because they have no confidence. It's a show. They make up for lack of real confidence by just upping the volume. Well, Notice verse 11, Jesus takes the place of a judge and gives his verdict. So look at verse 11, and who do you think is on trial here? Jesus answered him, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. 
Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has a greater sin. I would like to have seen the expression on Pilate's face when he heard that. Wow. I've never had a trial like this before. And that brings us to the last thing. Pilate's two fatal sins that hinder choice making. You've got a lot of choices to make. You just do. Some of them will be small. Some of them will be big. Fear of man and love of the world strangle a functioning conscience. His conscience is working very well up to this point. He understands more and more how wicked the Jews are. And he understands more and more this person is a very unusual person with no faults and he is probably not there's something entirely different about this man. Pilate's conscience is working well, and now what he does next must be like having surgery with no anesthesia. Now that would be a hard thing, to have surgery with no, no anesthesia. But that's what comes next in this. So look at verse 12. He attempts one last time. From then on, after this, after Christ just put it to him, said, there's another version of power that you're just not familiar with, and the fact of it is, yours is very temporary, and it's granted short. From then on, notice that from that point on, Pilate sought to release him, But the Jews cried out, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Now the Jews are worldly people. And they understand worldly power. And they know what troubles this man. Pilate would not be afraid so much of of many things. But he he knew the emperor at that time was a man named Tiberius who was a suspicious, whimsical man and he and and if they complained loud enough, they could put him in serious trouble with him. And look at verse um, if you would at verse thirteen. This must have penetrated like a hot knife. Whence Pilate therefore heard that saying that the Jews are now talking to my boss and threatening me to my boss. You know, that is going to be with a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to decide, if you don't comply with the state, well, at many churches, they will close the churches, take away the tax exemption. If you don't submit to the fact Homosexuals have every right to be married as much as you do. And we're going to put you out of it. We're going to tax you out of existence. Folks, that's going to happen. More and more. You will vaccinate your children. Things like those are coming. Matters of real conscience. 
So, so look at verse 14. Now it was the day of preparation and the Passover about the sixth hour. And he said to the Jews, behold your king. Look at him. What threat is he now? See how I've humiliated him. So I guess what you would call, what would you call, if you were to summarize in a few words what's taking place in Portland for the last hundred nights in a row and days in a row, what would you call it? What would you call the looting in downtown Chicago? What would you call the torching of Minneapolis? What would you call the defunding the police? I would call, here's what I would call it, what you find in verse 15. I, I, I don't want to get too far from the, the more redemptive thing, but it, but it is in principle what, what we're seeing. I would call it hysterical hatred. Look at verse 15, and you find hysterical hatred. But they cried out, this is Son of God. This is the one fed these people. Some towns didn't have a sick person left in them. Very patient and kind with the woman at the well. Many like him. Many like her. They cried out, away with them, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priest answered, we have no king but Caesar. Probably here is where Pilate washed his hands publicly and said, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See you to it. Now, the washing of his hands, did it make him less guilty or more? What do you think? More. It didn't make him less guilty. It made him more guilty. Pilate ruled there until 36 AD, a few more years. He was recalled to Rome for excessive force against the Samaritans. And um, we're not sure what happened to him. Most people think that he committed suicide. Probably not because of Christ. Um, possibly that had something to do with it. But when you think about Pilate, as he brings to a close, was Pilate some kind of monster? Or was he really a lot like us, a man of like passions? He was not some sort of monster. He was a man of like, like passions. He had a conscience like you have a conscience. He had things in life that he enjoyed like you have things in life that you enjoy. He had fears like you have fears. And and will have fears as you continue on your pilgrimage to meet God between now and then. You have many dangers, toils, and snares to get through. What what was so disastrous about Pilate, he was poorly taught about what mattered most in life. So Pilate didn't make good choices. His two fatal sins, were here they are. Number one, fear of man. He just, he, he was afraid. The 
veteran soldier, was not afraid of many things, he'd probably take on five or six at a time and, and, and whoop them. But that's not the kind of fear. He feared man. He said he feared the people above him, and he feared the people below him. He feared them. I wonder how much you fear man. I wonder how many, I wonder this, I wonder if we have anybody here being tested that way today or this coming week where really, you know, I'm going to be faced with some decisions. Now about ridiculous scruples, whether we should eat pork or not, but other ones that really matter. And you're going to say, If I do what a God-informed conscience tells me to do, this thing's going to cost me. And I'm afraid what these men will do to me, or these women will do to me. There's, a lot, there's lots of preachers like that. He said, they know the truth. He said, if I was to tell these people what's really so, I might be done. Well, it would be better if he was done. Man, Pilate's situation was very difficult. Let's grant him that much. To be well-known, to be over that many people, to have that much authority. He had five, at least 5,000 troops that he was, he was directly in charge of. Well, think how much different that is from most of you, especially those of you who are younger. Well, you're not all your over is the rakes in the garage and your bicycle and the few dollars you got in your bank account, you're not over much at all. And that's a blessing to you. That your decisions now are easier, way easier than they're going to be. Pilate is no one to envy. It's harder for him. We should grant him that. It would be very difficult, wouldn't it, for those of us who are older to rise through the ranks you're an army guy, a political guy, and you have finally got this high, and now you realize, I didn't want this decision. But it's staring me in the face, and if I do the right thing, my career's over. Now, how many think, oh, there's nothing to it? Well, there is, they don't think that. That's not, we're human beings. And that's not an easy thing. It's a wonderful thing to, to be. Begin as early as you can to have confidence in the scriptures and said, I, by the grace of God, I'm going to make the right choices, whether it pleases the many or the few. On the sign out there, it says, Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil. If only Pilate would have known that. If only his parents would have drilled it into him early and said doesn't matter how many people are doing this if they're stealing, if they're lying, if they're fornicating, it's wrong don't you follow Pilate never got that training he was afraid of man now here's another thing number two, fear of man and love of the world the world doesn't just mean one thing, It, it has lots of entrees Lots of them. It was too much to give up. 
for Pile. He said, I can't give it up. I know I shouldn't put this man to death, but but my life that I enjoy having will be so changed if I, I no, I, I'm not, no. I'm not giving it up. Well, uh, once again, I just, two fatal sins that hinder choice making. Fear of man. He's afraid to do what God plainly set before him he ought to have done. Number two, love of the world. Those things go together. So are you being tempted in that way? Do you ever ask the Lord to help you? Not in these particular things. I don't find any fault with it, with enjoying using the world and not abusing it. There are many things it's innocent to enjoy. So long as you have the mastery over them and they don't have the mastery over you and you are ready to let them go if, if they conflict with God's will in your life. I'll just conclude with this. Compromise. If you compromise because you fear man and love the world, I want to promise you, you will embolden and strengthen your enemies and weaken yourself. You will, you will not and cannot make good choices if you compromise on this. Fearing man, loving the world, strengthen your enemies, weaken yourself. And this, we're almost always mistaken trying to identify our winners and losers unless we're seeing through pilgrim glasses. So I guess if you watched the events of that day and said, well, who are the winners? Who are the losers? I guess you'd say, well, it sounds to me like Rome ended the day still on top. And it looks to me like the Galilean lost. Did he? If you were to read Fox's Book of Martyrs and said, tell me about the winners and the losers. So, well, you could read it this way. In the short term, the Catholics won. In the long term, the Puritans won. We're all going to be on one of those two sides. We're going to be spiritual winners or spiritual losers. Two great enemies. Fear man, all of the world. Let's bow for prayer. Lord God, we come unto you, and we've read this story, this account, how it happened. And we ask we profit from it. We ask you to help us. The oldest here, the youngest here, all in between. Less and less fear of man, especially blind, raging men. So much noise about so much foolishness. And the wise and shrewd ones are much more dangerous. We ask you to open our eyes, behold wondrous things out of your law. We ask you to help us to live in Christ's strength before our temptations, during our temptations, and after them. In Jesus' name we pray. We ask again, Lord, if there's anyone here,
has been facing these and has been caving in, that they would cease today. There are those who have big decisions coming up that whatever's been in this that's useful to them that they would hang on to and they would be ready and make good choices when the time comes. Amen. Well, let's conclude with 327. Oh, for a faith that will not shrink. Well, Peter's faith shrank for a little while, but it it came back. Cranmer's shrank for a little while and came back. And yours may have, and mine may shrink. Most of the time our faith doesn't grow on a steady incline. There's usually some ups and downs. So, Scott, how about if you come and lead us in this over faith that will not shrink? And then if you ought to conclude us this this morning, over faith that will not shrink. So let's all stand, shall we? We'll just conclude. scriptures that we read today of of your trial and of what you did for us Lord on our behalf and we are thankful for that Lord um, keep these verses fresh in our minds as we go through this week Lord Um, keep the words of these songs that we've sung today about prayer and the, the the necessity of of walking with you in prayer and in the word. Keep those things ever before us this week. We thank you uh, for the message that was brought. Lord, convict us and show us the love of the world that might be within our hearts, Lord. And convict us and show us, Lord, for areas where we have fear of man instead of fear of God. And Lord, we thank you for the freedom we still have in this country. And Lord, our country needs you. And we need you. Lord, let our light so shine before men this week that men might see Christ in us, Lord and glorify you. 
And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Scott.